so, what was that about? What was the last 20 minutes about? St. John's, you just did it. Alma, you just went there. Online, Mount Pleasant. We're going to take a look at what the Bible says about what we just did for the last few minutes. Because check it out. Like, every time we get together, we do that. Like, 99.9% of the time, <laughs> we all stand pointed in the same direction, and we open our mouths, and we make music, and we sing to some very exact words about God and who we are in Jesus Christ. What is that about? Because, like, we do it incredibly consistently every week. You're here, like, yep, yeah, they're doing that again. What is all of that about? I want to read you right at the onset here just a small little handful of scriptures. Psalm 95. Verse 1 and 2, come let us sing for joy to the Lord, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. I think we just did that. Isaiah chapter 12, sing to the Lord for he's done glorious things, let this be known to all the world. 1 Chronicles 16, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. I think we're doing some Bible stuff right there. One more. Revelation chapter 4, check this out. Such a commitment to worship day and night. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy or our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. I think we just did a little bit of that. Next Sunday, I was thinking we might do it again. <laughs> God in his wisdom and in his word has set this precedent uh, precedence for the people of God to come together, and not just the people of God, but in those scriptures, we see all of creation. We even see every angel, and they simply come before God, and they worship Him. It is good, and it is right, and it is biblical for the people of God to come together, and to open our mouths, and to declare with one voice that there is nobody else like our God, that He is supreme, and righteous, and holy, and true, and good, and there's no one to compare to Him. Amen? There's just no one like him. And it's right for us to state that. I would love to share with you today, um, in particular, some of my own experiences with, could I call it this, corporate worship. Like the family of God coming together. Uh, because I'm not joking you, it has impacted my personal life uh, to a massive degree. And, and I want this for you. So uh, my story with uh, worship uh, started off quite young, uh, where I started learning about worship, and honestly, I don't know if it was the best start for me. I'd love to show you a picture here. Uh, this uh, image right here is uh, right off O'Connell Street, which is like in the middle of the center of the uh, city center of Dublin, right off the river, uh, the river Liffey there, and that's a beautiful cathedral there, and that's called St. Mary's Pro Cathedral, and I went there for years and years and years. That building was built in 1815. It's even slightly older than our St. John's building. Isn't that amazing? Uh, by almost 100 years, our St. John's building was built in 1899, which is so cool. 
And I've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in that building right there, in that room right there, and, and there's uh, rooms where we re rehearse as well. Just hundreds and hundreds of hours for years when I was a little boy, and my voice was a little bit higher, a little boy soprano. Uh, because in that cathedral, they have a choir, which still exists to this day, called the Palestrina Choir of St. Mary's Pro Cathedral in the city center of Dublin. It's an all-male choir accompanied by a very, very humongous pipe organ. I mean, this thing is absolutely massive. And the music that we sang for years, and still to this day, was exclusively classical music. And I would say it is about 98% Latin. The stuff that we used to sing makes the old hymns look quite young. It's been around for quite a while. So we would have first soprano, second soprano, altos, tenors, baritones, and basses. And I can still remember the songs, the lyrics of them, because so many of those songs, they, they, the composers, they just took the same titles and the same lyrics, and they just wrote tons of different songs with the exact same lyrics. Uh, so uh, we would be writing, we would be uh, performing songs from Bach and Mozart and Mendelssohn and Handel, and uh, oftentimes it was Panis Angelicus, which means the bread of heaven, Kyrie eleison, which means um, uh, Lord have mercy, Sanctus Dei, which means holy God, and same titles, same lyrics, written and rewritten by composers over the centuries uh, into different scores and arias and overtures, and I would wear, man, you should have seen me back then, I look so dapper, I would wear a, uh, a robe from here, a white robe from here, all the way down to my black shoes, you had to have black shoes, and I had a blue cape. Capes are totally uh, overrated. Uh, you should wear a cape, a little one here, and my Mary medal would be right here, and I would come in, and then you would stand there, and you would have your, your folder, and with some poise, you would go out there, and you would sing, and we'd have a good old time. And we would sing at Mass, and Vespers, and Stations of the Cross, and Benediction Services, and all that stuff. So probably the age of whatever, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, and I loved it. Because I, I like music. I've always liked music. I like uh, to sing. I like to play instruments. Um, and the sound of those voices in that, in that particular cathedral, it was pretty exquisite. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. Perhaps some of the most amazing music ever written, but not all of it. Um, but just bouncing off those marble floors and those stone pillars and the height of that cathedral and the voices just swirling in that massive dome. Uh, but here's the crazy thing. Even as a kid, even as a child... I don't know if I could have put it to words, but, but I knew this. And, and I'm just talking from my personal experience right now. All of those hundreds of hours, all of those years singing all of those songs, I knew that it was powerless. And maybe I sound really mean saying that today, but I'm just telling you about my experience. It was powerless. And I'll tell you why it was powerless. In part, because I didn't understand a word that I was singing. I didn't, know, I, I didn't know what it meant. And the other reason why I would say it was powerless is because whatever a number of years that I was there doing that, when I got to my young teenage years, my voice broke and, and I stopped singing there. So whatever number of years, I never heard a single person once ever talk about Jesus. So I spent hundreds of hours in church singing these songs, and I never once myself said, this is what God is doing in my life, or this is what that means to me, or, well, gosh, we sang that song, and I 
you know, I experienced God or His presence or His love or His grace or, or anything, and I never heard anyone, not the choir director, not anyone in any of those parts, none of those men, none of those boys ever, ever had a single conversation like that. I don't remember any of that directed in any way towards a relationship with God. But the music was great. And I'm not trying to be critical of the music. For me, it failed to reach me as an expression of worship to God. So time goes on. I got a little taller, voice broke, left the choir. And I just all the more fell in love with music. I just loved music. I loved singing. And I, uh, I loved playing some instruments. And I started writing some songs. Not particularly very good songs, but I liked them. And uh, God did something in me and changed something in me when it came to worship that was very different to my childhood. And it was the most unexpected thing. And I, if I could make a kind of a confession here, I would say, looking back at my own experience, I would honestly say to you that I have never, ever been a particularly ambitious person. Now, what I mean by that is perhaps you've bumped into people and they're full of plans. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go there, I'm going to make this thing happen. Or when I grow up, I'm going to. Or when I finish college, I'm going to. That was never me. I was never that way inclined. I was never the one who said, well, I'm going to start this business, or I'm going to climb the, the corporate ladder, or I'm going to have this particular title. I never just minded about those things. Now, I'm going to date myself. Um, at that time, we used to get, we used to buy these things called cassette tapes. Just, <laughs> Anyone here know what a cassette tape is? Yep. Dinosaurs, the lot of you. Anyone here doesn't know what a cassette tape? Or how many of you here are like cassette tapes? I long for eight tracks. That's where it's at. Oh, man, that's scary. <laughs> LP records. Oh, so these cassette tapes where you would listen to music, pop them in the machine, press play. And, and we, I used to get these cassette tapes with, with worship concerts on them. And actually, they came from America. And I loved these cassette tapes, and I would pop them into the machine, and, and I, would, I would press play, and I would listen to them. And they were like, not just like a Sunday morning, like what we were experiencing, it was like they were going to do a big concert, and a load of people were going to come, and they were going to worship Jesus together. And I just loved them, and I would listen to the lyrics, and I would just get swept away in what they were saying. I began to connect with God. I would sit down at the piano, and I would try to figure out the music, and try to figure out the chords. And then one day, I opened up the cassette tape, and if you remember this, or if I'm telling you this for the first time, you could take out the little bit of sleeve that was in there, and you could take a look. And I remember going, oh, then we'll show you the lyrics of the songs. And they had these pictures in there, and inside, it, there was a picture of the concert. And you would see, you'd see this photograph of like tons of people worshiping Jesus. And I remember looking at that going, man, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And every single one of these cassette tapes, because I had a bunch of them from concerts all over America, they, it would say, well, this is such and such a worship leader from some church somewhere, and they are worshiping God, uh, and it would always say, and they were in Texas or Nashville or Los Angeles. And to me, that was like, that may as well have been another planet. It was just so far away from me, uh, sitting in my house at the piano looking at this thing, and then it would say this, and there were 3,000 people. Or there were 5,000 people worshiping. And I was just like, what? I've never seen anything like that. And I'm telling you right now, growing up in Ireland, nothing like that existed. There was nowhere that you could go to, to see that amount of people come together and to worship God like that. Unbelievable. And for the first time in my life, and I've actually never said this out loud ever to anyone, 
for the first time in my life, sitting there at the piano, looking at that, there it was. The first spark of ambition. And I said to God, oh God, I'd love to do that for you. I would love to do that for you. Would you let me do that for you? Time went on a little bit further. And you never guess where I found myself. God bless America. <laughs> I came to the United States in my early 20s. And it was the first time in my life that I had a chance to lead worship with what we probably a community church are extremely used to. I sat down at a piano and there was drums and a bass guitar, electric guitar, acoustic guitar and singers. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I'd never done anything like that before. And I was hooked. I just loved it. There was something about the body of Christ coming together with one voice in unity, singing his praises. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I, I just love this. And one day, after maybe close on a year, I, made, I came up with this idea, ambition. I said, God, do you know what I'd love to do? And I prayed about it. I want to put on a worship concert. I want to do it. I, I, want, to, I want to make a cassette tape. <laughs> Sorry, that sounded so old when I said that. <laughs> I'm going to take some of these songs that I've written, not particularly good songs, and I'm going to do a concert, and I'm going to get a boatload of people here, and we're going to worship Jesus. And actually, time had gone on. So do you know what else I was going to make besides a cassette tape? I was going to make a C D. Woo! Fancy technology. We're going to get a whole bunch of people together and we're going to gather and we're going to glorify God. What I didn't expect for myself was this thought that came in my mind. Now, please, if you would just remember, like I am off the boat. I am off the boat from Ireland into America. And I'm like, I'm going to do this concert. And so I had this thought. Do you know what I'd love to incorporate into this concert? I'd never done this before. I'm like, I would love to have some kind of Irish instrumentation at this recording for the cassette tape and the CD that I'm going to do. I would love to have Irish instruments uh, uh, to be a part of that. That would be fantastic. And so, man, how, how can I get people to maybe come to my concert and get to know them where we could have that? And so I thought to myself, well, how am I going to find people? I'm like, oh, there's a problem. I'm in Michigan. It's not like I can just walk down the road and find some guy who knows how to play a traditional Irish instrument and is, is good at that. And so I reached out to another resource. Guys, you're going to have to hang with me on this because this is pre-internet. I looked in a thing called the Yellow Pages. Okay? Who's lost? There's a few people here and you're just like, I don't know what he's talking about this week. It's not making any sense. And so I started looking up like, are, are there Celtic leagues? Are there Gaelic clubs? Are there Irish this, that, heritage centers? And, and I found these names. I started making phone calls and I started like, you know, talking to people. I'm like, oh, that's a dead end. That didn't go, no, that, they don't have anything like that. No, no. And I left a message here and I left a message there. And, you know, I said, maybe that's me just trying my best to see if we can get all of this come to, to, uh, to come to pass. But Months passed by, and we were getting ready for the concert. We were practicing, getting everything ready, and, and I just couldn't find anybody. And I actually came to the place where I'm like, oh, never mind. You know, that would have been great, but ne never mind. Until one day, I went into my office, and I pressed play on my tape recorder. Uh, what was it called? Not a voicemail. Answering machine. Okay. Man, <laughs> they're having fun. 
uh, on the answering machine, and I'm not joking you, there was this message, and this is what he said. He said, hi, I'm responding to a message from Alan Cullen. It looks like you're looking for some Irish traditional musicians, and I think I can help you, so why don't you call me back at I rewound the tape, played it again, the exact same spot, gone. Never left me his name, never left me a number, and I'd called so many people, I'm like, oh, no, I don't know who that was, I don't know how to call them back. So I left my office, I got in the car, and I was driving down 275 in my 1987 Pontiac 6000, <laughs> and I'm driving down the freeway, 275, and you're never gonna believe what I saw, but there was a car right in front of me with a bumper sticker on it, check this out, and this is what it said on the bumper sticker, I heart shamrock, and then it actually had a treble clef, but that's a little uh, half note right there. And of course, what does that mean? I love Irish, I love Irish music, so I'm like, What's going on in that car? <laughs> so I just moved over in my 1987 Pontiac 6000, and I put, the, I put the accelerator on, and then after about 60 seconds, the car began to move a little bit faster, and I came up alongside this, and you're never gonna believe what I saw. I'm not even joking you. There's this woman driving 70 miles an hour down 275 with the steering wheel between her knees playing the tin whistle. I'm not even joking you. I'm like, She's true to her bumper sticker. She is, she's hardcore. She really loves this. So I'm like, I know what I need to do. I'm going to follow her. <laughs> so some people call it stalking. I don't know. It's just a mild felony for Jesus, right? That's fine. So anyway, she gets off of this... Uh, uh, the freeway, and that's not my exit, but I'm, I'm stalking her, I'm following her, and I follow her, turn left, turn right, turn left, and until we got to a place where there was a train coming down, and the gate came down, and I was like, ah, that was my chance. I ran out of the car, left it still running, and I went up to her, and I knocked on the window. I said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to alarm you. My name is Alan Cullen. I'm looking for this Irish traditional music. I saw your bumper sticker, I love Irish music, and I saw you driving down 275 to 70 miles an hour playing the tin whistle, and I wondered, is there any chance you know somebody? And all of a sudden, the gate's going up, and people are starting honking their horns, and I was like, do you know anybody? Is there anybody who could help me? And she looks at me, and she says, you need to go down to Remus, that's near Detroit. I go to the Sutton Switcher Hotel this Saturday morning. I was like, okay. And she left. And I got in the car. I'm like, oh my gosh. Saturday morning. Guess where I am? I'm in this hotel in Remus. I find this place and I walk through the door. I have no idea what's going to be there. And I'm not joking. I walk through this door and it's what's known in Ireland as an Irish FLA, F-L-E-A-D-H. It's a competition. And I walk through this door and there's like 30 people playing the Illin pipe. Yes, jackpot. I walked in to open this other door. There's like 50 people. They're just playing the bower on. I'm like, here we go. This is going to be great. So I went up to this table. There was this fellow standing behind the table. And I went up to him and I said, I said, uh, hi, I'm looking for a little bit of help. I'm looking for some Irish musicians. My name is Alan. And this guy goes, stop. I said, what? He says, your name is Alan Cullen and you're looking for Irish musicians for some kind of worship concert? I was like, yeah, how do you know me? He's like, I left you a message. Why didn't you call me back? <laughs> Not even joking you. God is so good for a young man who had no ambition. Man, we cranked on the lights. We brought in a sound system, and we had a traditional Irish harp, which is the national symbol of Ireland, and illum pipes and barons and tin whistles. And we took instruments that were 
originally created really for paganism, druidism, the worship of false gods and gods of the sun and the sky and the moon and the stars and animals and trees. And we took them and we redeemed them for the glory of God. And man, we had a gang of people, just a ton of people come in there and we just took the roof off. And I look back at that and my heart just leaps inside of my chest for all that God did. Incredible. When we come together each Sunday, and when we come and we point in the same direction and we sing these exact words about God and who we are in God, we are, we're making three statements. Number one, it is a statement to God, we are your people. You are our God and we are your people and we belong to you. And because of Jesus, we no longer stand in darkness. Because of Jesus, we've been adopted as your sons and daughters. We are the people of God. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. You do that every Sunday when you come in through these doors. Secondly, it is a statement to the world. He is our king. We're taking this opportunity to tell the whole world without apology that our allegiance and loyalty and hope rest in Jesus Christ. Now, we know that there are places in the world where Christians are unable to do that, and they come together in secret places with hushed voices to try to worship God for fear of being beaten or imprisoned or even the loss of their life, and we pray for them. But in this privileged place today, we stand up and make no mistake it, unabashed, unashamed, without hesitation. We stand in worship alongside my brothers and my sisters to let this world know that we will declare the kingship of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it is a statement to each other. We are his family. When we publicly worship God together, when you stand beside maybe people you know or don't know very well, but your brothers and your sisters, even children, and you open your mouth and you give glory to God, what you are unequivocally stating is that the only reason why you are able and capable of standing in the holy presence of God is that you would say of yourself, I was lost and riddled with guilt and shame and apart from God, but Jesus Christ came in and at the cross of Calvary, he took my place and he paid my price and his blood was shed on my behalf and I have become undone in a way that all I want to do is now say all glory and honor to you for you have transformed and you've changed everybody and you are communicating that to every person around you. You are standing in the presence of God only because of his mercy and grace and that actually makes us brothers and sisters. It actually puts us on equal footing where in the family of God, we don't look down our noses at people. We don't consider other people better or holier or fancier or any of that kind of thing. We worship God and we are well aware that we are standing in the company of sinners who have been turned into saints simply because of his wonderful son, Jesus Christ. You may or may not know this, but when you worship God, there's actually a massive benefit to you. When you worship God, there is an advantage for your life. It's good for you. Think about this. We're putting into music words that describe not just truth, words that describe ultimate truth. Sometimes we say the dumbest things, don't we? Anyone here got that gift, the spiritual gift of saying dumb things? Everyone listening to me has opened your mouth at some occasion in your life and gone, oh my gosh. Afterwards, you're like, why did I say that? That was just the dumbest thing to say. Or that was cruel. 
And that was an unloving thing to say. I, I actually, actually hurt somebody. That was a foolish thing to say. Every person has done that. But it's actually much worse than just the dumb things that we say. The words that come out of our mouth. No surprise to any of you here listening to me today, we live in a pretty broken world as well. And this world will say to you as you wake up every single morning, it will say, man, we want to fill a quotient of your life with so many words and opinions and sales pitches and verdicts and words and verbal abuses and speeches and false promises and actual lies and malice and gossip. And so many of these words in this broken world, they're actually intended to pull you down. So many of those words in this world, which are just broken words intended to break you, will try to convince you that those words are actually reasonable and that you should align your life with them and agree with those words. We are, un we are bombarded by ungodly words that claim to be truth that are clamoring for your attention. So we live in a world where we say dumb, foolish, cruel, unloving things. We live in a world where we hear words that are attempting to align you away from what God says is actually truth. And as if that were not enough, the Word of God clearly says to us that we have this active enemy who hates you personally, and he is called a liar. It's one of the descriptions for the enemy. Now, how do you lie to somebody? How do you spread lies, establish lies? How do you reinforce lies? Well, they are ideas expressed in words. An active enemy over your life who has decided in the spirit realm there's going to be an ongoing, consistent campaign and personal effort to lie to you. Are you beginning to see the necessity of coming into the family of God and actually speaking words that are true? around other people who are speaking words that are true, not just truth, but ultimate truth, that would counter our own foolishness and cruelty and deficit of love, that would counter this world's cruelty and the evil one's deception. We deliberately enter into the spirit realm, into the presence of God, and we discipline ourselves to put something into words. And what is that something? We're putting into words truth, ultimate truth, so that we can again and again and again orient our lives with that truth. We are proactively speaking that which is true. And Scripture says that is a powerful thing for you to do and that you ought to do that and that you need to do that. Is it no wonder? Look at this in Romans chapter 10. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's an action of actually speaking truth. If you will do that, there's something going on in that, something powerful about the words that we decide to listen to and the words that we decide to speak. If you openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm telling you right now, that will affect you. And when you say that out loud, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my King, I'm telling you right now, it changes things because you begin to speak about the goodness of God in front of this world, even conversationally, even casually. And in the spirit realm, things begin to shake and move and shift. When you open up your mouth and you declare the goodness of God and the authority of Jesus Christ, listen to me, church, the demonic absolutely hates it when you do that. Hates it. I would encourage you to do that very thing. I would, I would nudge you in that direction. 
that you come in here and you deliberately say, I'm going to cause myself to say that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And your enemy is like, shut up. I don't want you talking like that. Don't speak like that. Shut that down. Don't engage. And I would encourage you to walk into this place and say, no, I've actually come to rend my heart before this one who loves me. I'm going to crack open my chest and I'm going to pour out everything I would express in terms of my love and loyalty and allegiance, and the honor and glory and power and dominion that I would give to my Savior. We talk about corporate worship. Let me show you biblically how far God intends to actually place corporate worship. Philippians chapter 2, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? You see, what this passage is saying to us is that there will come a day where what is ultimately true and you think about our cruel words and this deceptive world and the liar of an enemy. There will come a day where what is ultimately true will be asserted and expressed for all of creation to see. And rightfully so, every tribe and every tongue and every man and every woman, every child, every color and creed, every atheist, every agnostic, every Muslim, every animist, every Hindu, every Mormon, Buddhist, Confucianist, every doubter, every angel, every demon, all of creation will simply bow down and worship this king. The worship of our God is not a small thing. The creator of this universe is worthy, is worthy of praise from your mouth. But his greatness is <laughs> bigger than just your mouth. It stands before nations, all peoples. He literally loves the world. And Scripture says, if you won't, if you won't open your mouth, if you fail to declare his goodness, creation itself will just burst out with praise and glory. The very rocks will cry out that he is glorious. Corporate worship takes your words, it takes that truth, it embeds it into the beauty of music, it causes our voices to reach the full range of their frequencies and notes and harmonies and crescendos and decrescendos and it places the poetry of language into our mouths and it directs all of that towards truth and God says that is good and right for you to do. It is necessary for you to align yourself with ultimate truth and I call you not to just say it, I call you to sing it. Side note, all of those who are watching online, for those of you who are watching online, if that's where you need to be today, particularly for health reasons, praise God. I'm so glad that as a church, we're able to figure out the tech and to, to do that every week in a way that I think is fantastic. So if that's where you need to be online and you need to do that particularly for your health, go for it. But I want to challenge everybody online if I could. I spoke to a wonderful lady in our church a few weeks ago. I bumped into her at a paint shop. And as soon as she saw me, she was like, oh no. It's Pastor Allen. She hung her head down low. And the first thing out of her mouth, she's like, we haven't been back to church since COVID. And I know we got to get back. And, and we're so sorry. I know this is something we need to do. She said, we, we just got comfortable on the couch. She said, that's the truth. We just, got, we just got so comfortable on the couch. And here's what I just want to say. I just want to encourage everybody online. We love you, but we miss you. 
And there's something, I think, a little bit different. And I would love for you to regain the discipline of coming together with the saints and worshiping the Lord. There is a gift that God has for you in that. In a moment, we're going to respond in worship, which we got to do after a message like this. And man, I would say, let's lift our voices together. Like, let's just shout out our praises. But I want to say one last thing. At Community Church, St. John's, Alma, Mount Pleasant, online. We will never, ever fight about how we worship Jesus. Amen? Amen. Have you heard of this? There's a word for it in Christianity. If you're new to Christianity, you're like, maybe you've never heard of this. I'm going to let you in on an insider dirty secret. It's called worship wars. We're not doing it. We're never going there. Churches come together and they actually fight with each other. If you can get your head around this, they cause fractions and divisions and splits in the church and they fight with each other and they're unloving towards each other about how are we going to express our love for Jesus Christ. Let's fight about that. That makes no sense at all. We're never doing that at community church. David's wife judges him, king of Israel. She judges him because of the way he's worshiping. He's dancing with joy and she looks at him and she says, it's indignant for him to be doing what he's doing. I don't like it. And quietly in her heart, she judges him. And God takes your worship so seriously that he actually condemns her. He, he judges her on the spot. And you know what it says that happened to her for the rest of her life? She was barren. She was unable to bear children. When I see other churches with different expressions in silence or dancing up the aisles, Pentecostal churches, different languages, different music, all, I just go, praise God. I wonder if I could get in there and be a part of some of that. I love the way you guys are doing it. Not what I'm used to. Praise God for the way that you're worshiping Jesus Christ. I refuse to judge you. And I'll tell you why, church. Because I cannot go through my life judged by God because I've judged someone else's expression of worship and I find my life riddled with a spiritual barrenness. And we're not doing that as a church. When we fight over our expression of worship to Jesus, we run the risk of spiritual barrenness as a church. Over the last few weeks of December, as I looked at our campuses and online, we had a little over 2,000 people attending our church on a typical Sunday morning. Of course, of course, there's no way that we can find one way to express our worship to Jesus that everyone's going to say, that's my preference. That's the way I like that done. Of course, that's impossible with over 2,000 people. Rather, we're going to come together under one banner, amen? The person of Jesus Christ. And with glad hearts, we will lift up and bow the knee to this incredible name. And with one voice and with the unity of the Holy Spirit, we will come together and we will say and we will speak and we will shout and we will do this out loud. Isn't he good? Isn't he worthy of praise? He is so faithful. Church, all our campuses, would you stand to your feet right now and let's worship our great God together with one voice.